0: Welcome to Salty Conversations, podcast of saltbush uniting the scattered community. This is number four in a series of six conversations in Christian community. Our guest today is the Reverend and Anglangi, Uniting Church Chaplain at the University of Hawthorne. I'm Jeff Wellington, one of the saltbush So welcome everybody to uh, Conversations in Christian Community. This is uh, number four of six conversations and it's uh, a great pleasure to have uh, Reverend Loffer along with us today. Loffer is the university chaplain at um, Port Macquarie University and is doing some work at, in the congregation as well. So you can tell us perhaps a little bit about that as we go along as well. It's uh, been really good to um, have you with the other conversations and um, last week of course we had the moderator Reverend Simon Hansford along with us and Simon reminded us um, in our quest to think about Christian community and how we encourage that was to think about relationship, trust and movement as a way of uh, progressing along as we journey and try to discover what Christian community might look like and how we might encourage and support that um, in our own context and across across the life of the church welcome to some new faces today and uh, lots of old faces as well so it's good to good to have you here with us lofa uh, it's really good to have you with us today and' um, Been looking forward to this chat. Um, We've bumped into each other from time to time over the last uh, few years and um, I thought as we um, started to think about conversations in Christian community that a voice uh, from the Pacific would be a really great addition to thinking about where we might come from to this conversation about Christian community. Because There's no doubt that uh, whilst the Uniting Church um, has declared itself as a multicultural church, it still struggles with uh, what that actually means for us and to shrug off perhaps its sense of being a colonising church. And um, I, I really believe that the Pacific has a lot to teach us in that sense about what it means to be in Christian community. The events of um, the last week or 10 days um, uh, make this conversation rather poignant. Um, it certainly highlights for us um, the, the structural problems and issues that we face as, as a society, both here in Australia and across the world, um, how we understand our relationship together, how we listen to each other and learn from each other, uh, different cultural perspectives and, and how that comes together. So we're really interested to hear about um, decolonisation and Oceanian theology and what um, what uh, that might teach us about Christian community in our time and in our space. Although we really um, enjoy hearing a little bit about people as they come along, and um, so we invite you to Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your ministry context
1: now. Thanks, Jeff. <clears throat> um, yeah, so um, I, I was born and raised in Tonga, so I'm a first-generation Tongan Australian. Uh, my family and I migrated to Australia in early 92. Uh, uh, so I was nine years old at the time. Um, so I was raised up in um, the Methodist tradition um, and so when we came to Australia, um, I think the first few years we, our idea of um, Australia and other parts of the world we, was what we came out of the movies. Um, but when we got to Australia, it was a total different experience. Um, and part of that was going to primary school and only knowing um, a few lines of English, yes, no, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> um, and so my my siblings and I, uh, I think we realised that in our first um, few months here in Australia, um, <clears throat> And I grew up in a uh, a suburb called uh, Granville, which is in the inner-western suburbs of Sydney. Um, At at the primary school, there was only um, three of us who were from the Pacific and two other um, first people, uh, Indigenous um, students in that school, and the rest were all um, from Anglo backgrounds. Um, So (laughs) that was... um, confronting um, as well as um, the first few years of um, experiencing um, that other people see your skin colour as not so great. Um, being called chocolate milkshake was all new to me and I didn't know what that meant um, by the other kids. So a lot of bullying and racism from that early age, and time. <clears throat> um, so, um, I mean, later on, uh, I think being part of the church really helped me to get through some of that um, racism. But at the same time, I was still asking myself, what is it that's wrong with being a person of color, being dark skinned, especially when it's some of your own community, um, we're all obsessed about having light skin. Um, And I was raised in a home where I was never told there was something and anything wrong with my um, colour of skin as well. Um, So that's part of my upbringing. Um, But how did I become uh, interested in this post-colonial decolonizing stuff? I think I'm still not an expert in the area. But the reason why I'm interested in it is um, Tonga. Tonga is the only country, um, the the only surviving monarchy in the Pacific. Secondly, it was the only. It's the only country that was never formally colonised. Although we have a friendship agreement with the Brit, um, with um, with the Great Britain. Um, <coughs> however, there is this um, there is this confusion that that means we were never colonized so we are free of being these colonized people but then there's the other argument of post of colonization is that colonization doesn't is not about physical being physically occupied by another foreign power because there are different um lenses of post-colonial and um because we're a monarchy um and the missionary, missionaries had come in, um, the way that the missionaries worked with the king and the nobles who are at the top of... So our country, um, we operate uh, as a kind of like the hierarchy. And so you've got the king and the nobles and the commoners, the common people where I belong. Um, so when the missionaries came to look for ways for the gospel to be... Um, more acceptable, their way of getting that through was um, to create relationships with the king and those at the top. And for that to work was for them to, in some ways, to say um, you can still maintain your power. Um, and so to read, uh, we have this foreign book, the scripture, and um, we can read that in a way that still allows you to maintain your power. So it's not a threat. And so once that happened, um, although Christianity has made positive um, impacts to us, changes and all of that, um, it still allowed those at the top to hold power, and then moves the common people um, to to um, more to the peripheries, um, <clears throat> and and so. Um, it's really interesting, in Tonga we don't have this clear thing about colonisation, uh, whereas other parts of the Pacific, you can say, well, the the Germans took over Samoa or the Chinese took over Samoa for uh, uh, a time. But, yeah, so it's a really, it's interesting but difficult and challenging um, to see the Bible as being part of that colonial um Power when it came to Torah, and so my interest is how do we read the Bible in a way that allows us to see the common people um, in the stories, um, and how do we um, how do we see God as being part of the common people rather than those who hold power in the stories? Um, So, so can
0: can you talk to us then a little bit about how that? Changes um, a Tongan sense of community, um, and is there a difference between Tongan community and Tongan Christian community?
1: Um, So, um, look in pre-pre-missionary, pre-missionary, you know, we we valued the sense of being in community, celebrations and our relationships to the land and all of that. Um, But when the missionaries came, a lot of the values were taken away because they were all seen as um, heretic and none of that had something to do with being um, in faith um, with God. Um, They were seen as worshipping trees and worshipping idols and all of that. And so it was seen as two separate things. Um, To be Christian is to get rid of everything that our culture um, had before the missionaries. Um, But I think My feeling is there has been a lot of developments over the years um, in terms of our worship and spirituality, and part of that is um, able to contextualise some of the Christian values and saying actually God was already there when the missionaries came. It's just that we needed to read the gospel in a way that related to us rather than getting rid of the things we already had you know, because some of our cultural beliefs was, you know, um, the relationships we have with one another being reciprocated um, and there's the interconnectedness of the earth, um, the environment to us. So we are supposed to respect the environment rather than abusing that. And so that is totally part of our faith. But then, yeah, yeah. it's been told that in some ways, some people have been reading the text to say, "Well, we are, we have dominion over the earth and creation, which is not." I, I, I don't think that's what Genesis is talking about. But yeah, so interconnectedness is part of our cultural values, and, um, and I think that's totally Christian as well. Yeah, and I think that's uh, really um, essential, important. Um, part of our Christian community life as well, is this understanding us as being interdependent rather than individual.
0: I've had the great pleasure of working with a number of Tongan groups and individuals, and one of the things that continues to strike me and challenge me as well is is, um, people's sense of hospitality Mm -hmm. and, as you say, that interconnectedness is so critically important to the life of the community. But hospitality is so central to to life as, um, as how you, as I understand how you how you might think about community together.
1: Yes, well, <laughs> um, for us, I think hospitality is not just a way that you um, invite people into your homes. It's also in the language that you use to be, respect, you know, because the respect is in is very much intertwined into everything that we do. So I think that's also part of the hospitality and respect and the language and all different sorts. um, There are different parts to that. But I think I must say that in my experience with a lot of, in the Uniting Church, is um, why do the Tongans do so much food? Why do you have all this, (laughs) why do you um, have to go all out um, and we see it as a part of um, of the blessing. The, the hospitality is a blessing for us to serve rather than there's always more blessing for us to to serve rather than what you receive. Yeah. Um, so that's how we understand um, things. And it's also part, yeah, at different parts of the Pacific, we have different ways of showing hospitality. Um and I think I know that in some Anglo churches that I've been to, they say, oh, you're spending too much, you're overspending, you know, when it comes to morning tea and all of that. But we sometimes, it might sound ir- irresponsible of us, but um, when it comes to something to do, with that's how important our faith, that's part of our faith is is to give.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, some of it, as I understand it too, is a, is a way of redistributing Redistributing food and support for for families across the community too, isn't it?
1: Yes. Um, so, my my dad is stuck in Tonga with this COVID nineteen. He we got stuck there. He was meant to be back in March, and a lot of my friends that I tell the story to, and they say, oh how's your dad like how is he surviving you know he's over 70 and i said oh he's okay cuz family everyone kind of looks over look after him so i'm not worried at all and he said i'm more well looked after here than i am over when i come back to australia but yes it's really about um distribution and um because when you they, the way they look at when you grow your crops and the first um, the first harvest of your crops should be shared with family and friends, and your blessing will come back because um, it's going to grow back again next year anyway. Yes. So it's it's never about filling up your um, your shed with your own stuff. It's it's really you you have to always um, distribute it. Otherwise, um, it's really bad when people discover that you don't like to distribute and share with one another. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that's not good at all, um, <laughs> for I wonder, um, you know, as you've started to um, think about, um, you know, oceanic theology and and decolonisation and and how that's impacted on your faith. I wonder who have who's been those influences on your life that started to shape your sense of, well, what does Christian community actually look like for you now in this. In, in an Australian context, that's multicultural both um, for your Tongan identity but for um, how you interact then with with some of the other parts of the culture here in Australia.
1: Mm. That's a really good question. Um, I think that the Uniting Church, even though we are not there yet, but I think that the Uniting Church is one of those... Um, <laughs> It, I think the United Church is one of those um, those great influences in my life that continues to challenge and pushes me to say that we can do better at what we're already doing. Um, I'm I've had the pleasure of um, being under the leadership of many um, people um, such as uh, Dean Drayton, um, Sione Javier. Um, Catalina, Tafi Williams and a lot more um, of leaders in the Uniting Church and I say this all the time, although there's been a lot of struggle in my story and my journey and experience in the church that has its own um, ugliness but I think it is a church that, um, that continues to invite me to to be part of this urgency and this conversation that needs to be, um, that needs to happen. And and I, I said this to you earlier, the invitation you gave me to be here talking about decolonization and all, I think I would have said no to you um, if I knew... <laughs> that we would t- this would take place today when we've just had all these um, um, protests in the last few days um, because it's a harder conversation now. It's just too obvious. and um, So, yeah, I think today the conversation we're having right now speaks so much into what I, I just said to you about the influences and I think even this conversation in itself um <sighs> it is making it harder but it also uh affirms for me the calling to continue this this post colonial conversations and decolonization whatever you would like to call it yeah
0: thanks loafer and we really appreciate um that this is this isn't an easy conversation by any means and but i i for me it just highlights how critically important it is to have the conversation absolutely at this time and, and i wonder um, I'm not sure whether this is too hard a question, but I, I wonder whether, um, can can you articulate why it's a hard conversation? Like, <laughs> what is it that's really hard about this? Because I think for lots of us, um, you know, I talk for myself as an Anglo person uh, who's privileged in, in many, many ways, I don't experience racism. I don't experience the system that's against me or and those sorts of things. But so for you what's what's really hard about this conversation
1: um, I think my my feeling is that it's hard because um, look there are so many letters to it, but i I'll just try and put it in um, a way that might be able to answer your question it's It's hard because um. You might think that it's only that every brown person will be talking about decolonisation, um, but they don't. They won't because they don't see um, they don't see colonisation being or being colonised. Because um, so that's one one part of it. Or some some of my own Tolan communities are are wanting to um, protect this systemic racism that's happening and so because they it's not that they're trying to avoid it it's some don't even see it that way um and as i said before for us Tongans, it's sometimes harder because we were never formally colonized um the other part that's hard for me um is sometimes because i am i am a brown person and i'm I will be seen as trying to push an agenda every time I speak about post-colonial in the church. Um, it's also harder being woman, a woman um, and speaking of these issues. And sometimes my friends that I went through college with, I had a lot of Anglo friends and they've made things much easier because they they fight for me sometimes, um, and that's for me. That's sharing their power with me, um, which is a wonderful part of this. All of this is is that um, I do have friends who have been able to take some of the fight for me, and it's very tiring having to talk about it all the time. Um, but then there's the other part of me. I am privileged because I'm Christian. Um, there's a part, There's a lot of privileges to me because I am educated as well. Um, <clears throat> so those are just some of the lenses I could talk to you about right now, but there's a lot more to it. I don't know if that's answered your question, no, Jeff.
0: That, that's that's great. Thank you, Rafa. And, you know, I really appreciate that that's not necessarily easy to talk about either, <laughs> um, and we need to respect that for you too. Um, I wonder... What your faith then starts to talk to you about um, in in this decolonising space? Um, how how does the gospel start to talk to you about that, and how can how can that help us to actually start to grapple with what does it mean to be in Christian community?
1: I think <clears throat> I think for me um, is know knowing that. Um, God who comes as Christ, in Christ, um, has liberated all of us. Um, we've all been, li- been liberated and, we, and God doesn't see us as persons of colour, um, whatever race you come from. But I think that's, that's the challenge about, uh, of the gospel is that not everyone sees it in that, in that way that Christ has seen all of us. Um, and so, and I also don't, I think for me, my, in my faith, um, that's part of, um, the cost of discipleship is, is this ongoing, um, it's the struggle, but then there's also that part of, um, being able to, um, come into partnership with others and to stand in solidarity because they do hear, they hear like and see what your struggles are. And I think for me that's part of being in community as well is um, hearing and sharing each other's stories. Um, and that is, and we, we are able to stand in solidarity and also are able to protest against some of the ugliness of those um, of those things that continues to impact us and stops us from seeing and hearing the good news of Christ.
0: Lofa, we spoke um, uh, before um, when we arranged this about seasonal workers too. And uh, um, can, Have you had much experience about what's happening for seasonal workers? Um, because we, we have a, a huge history in Australia actually and some of it's... Um, not very nice, or um, you know, it's really a, a story of slavery in some cases, um, and yet Australia's gone back to a seasonal worker type arrangement, and some of those sorts of situations are not are not great either. Um, but can you talk to us a little bit about that situation?
1: Um, every I will say that every Tongan community will have. Um, has a relationship to someone that is a seasonal worker, it's either a relationship or someone who has visited your church would be part of, would be a seasonal worker and you probably won't know because some of them will not tell you that directly. Um, and part of that, I think it's it's the... Um, they don't want to be identified as a seasonal worker um, part of our culture is um there's a shaming culture in the Tongan culture um, what I've in some of my conversations with certain um, people who have come here on seasonal uh, workers uh, visas um some of the things that they've said, it's it's got to do with the, the contractors um, who the government gives these contracts to, and and then some of the rights they're not sure what their rights are, as well as um, <coughs> um, not having um, proper policies for what they could do and how how much their pay is. Some of them feel that they have been underpaid. So there are so many, there's that disadvantage. And um, there are also some who come and live with their families um, after they um, go into their programs and all of that because their families sometimes reach out for them to come and stay with them. And some have had to pay their families to um, to stay with them and sometimes their families take advantage of them as well. Um, so it's not, they don't always have um, a good experience when they come over. Um, so that's as much as I know um, of those, uh, yeah. yeah, about the seasonal workers.
0: So um, I'm aware that a number of um, congregations then encounter groups of um, seasonal workers in that come along to their congregations because um, that's their, you know, they uh, expect to come along to church on Sunday and um, it creates community and, um, you know, it's a really important part of, of life together that you come to community. And I wonder whether you can start to help us to think about, how congregations might might start to interact with, with some of those groups, and how can they um, encourage you know positive relationships and start to build uh, um, a Christian community that's actually mutually respectful and um, learning from each other
1: okay um, look we've some of those groups that come over and if they decide to be part of your congregation. Um, that would be they would be a blessing for you. Um, just get give them a guitar, <laughs> um, let them start singing. Some of them you will find that they will have testimonies to share with the church. And you'd be surprised that some of them are probably already lay preachers in the church. Um, and no doubt they will know their Bibles. Um, so I mean if you'd like to Invite them to be part of those, uh, you know, to lead services. Um, I think what really, what would be really um, appreciated by them is just talk to them about their families. Yeah. That will get them going <laughs> um, and talk about their families, where they studied. They're just looking for authentic um, relationships, yeah. Um That's what they would value.
0: Just, just being a friend, isn't it? Really. Yeah. It's, yeah. Getting to know people, <laughs> it's really critical. Um, uh, just like all of us, we're all looking for for people to connect with, and when we're away from home, then um, finding somewhere to belong and um, feel appreciated and welcome. That's that's always a really positive thing to do.
1: And if you have any cooking. Get them to cook with you. Yeah. (laughs) They would love that.
0: (laughs) Eating together is really
1: really,
0: really important, isn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I wonder if people um, have some questions um, for Lofa about um, how um, how the cultural experience that Lofa's been talking to us about, um, what questions might rise for you? And um, what would you like to hear about?
1: I'll just I'll respond to Pamela killed Um is it also harder being a female even in Tongan society? Definitely um being an ordained female single um is hard in the Tonga community. Uh sometimes I'm treated like a kid, um, because I'm still young. Um uh I went through college with two other um, Tongan boys um, in doing our formation studies and going through um, formation, there was always more invitations for the boys to go out and preach in the Tongan community than me. Um, And when I used to say, okay, um, so what is it? Is it? because they're boys and they're like, no, because I think you're more suitable for the Anglo background. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> don't know what that means, but, yeah. Um, so there's always excuses, but I always know if, if they're more, I don't know, more open to the boys. Um, the Methodist Church in Tonga um, ordain women, but a lot of us, a lot of them are given admission dra- administration roles teaching roles, not so much congregation um, yeah. yeah, placements.
0: And and you've actually been ordained as a deacon, as um, so I understand. Um,
1: that's, yes, that's also an odd place. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's just a lack of understanding about what a deacon does, but some of um, the words then be, that's been echoed is, oh, yeah, I think deacons are as important as the midst of the word. Sorry, Jeff. we're just not that important. No, that's right.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the role of a deacon and being the first Tonga deacon is not, um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done um, for yeah. people to understand my role. So. It's
0: hard It's hard to be the first one to do things sometimes. <laughs> okay, friends, um, Phil's got his hand up. Uh,
2: can I just say? Do you, do you think that unintentionally, our uh, good, so if trying to be nice to people, we actually feed some of these problems and instead of grow community, we, we kind of stifle the Tongan community and the other island communities?
1: I think there's totally a distinction in people being genuinely nice and just trying to be nice because of the guilt there's a guilt behind that. Mm-hmm. Um so <laughs> look yeah it's 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 I for me I can sense when people are genuinely nice to me. I would always I would like it if people ask me the hard questions. Um an example for me is I, one of my friends, um, he's, you know, he has, he, he's Anglo Australian and he has a really good way of um, asking me again. L- look, if I write something to him, he'll come back and say, I, I didn't understand what you wrote in the email. Could you, can, can you just um, ask me that again? For me, that, there's a genuineness in that rather than ignoring my email and just, oh, I don't want to hurt her feelings or I don't want to look racist to say, oh, I don't understand what you've written or your grammatical errors um, are giving me a headache. Um, so for me, um, I think people we would really appreciate it if people are a bit more genuine. Yeah. If you don't understand us, we would rather hear you um, yeah ask us to talk about it rather than ignoring I don't know if that's answered your question, Phil.
2: Yeah, it's it's just going back to my older, younger days, back in Campbelltown. Last week. (laughs) Yeah. um, I I learned lots from the Tongan church that I was involved in, and I learned heaps when we went out to the nightclubs um, because the father's the way that you know their fathers and their uncles would come and talk, you you just learn so much more about the customs and things like that. Mm. And sometimes I don't think we do that enough with any other culture. You know what I mean? It's um, we we just think everybody understands everything the way we do.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I just think we need us to, to put that out there that we have to ask those questions. Mm. You know. Uh, not assume that we know what they need, but ask those questions. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Phil. On you,
2: mate. You've been brave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Okay. Who else would like to ask a question, and make a comment?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. If I could just make make a comment that sort of leads into a um, a question, I was. I think this medium is brilliant to get a chance to hear things. The thing that you've said this afternoon that surprised me the most was that seasonal working is seen as a bit down market. Um, I grew up where my father was a rural seasonal worker from the rice harvest to the wheat harvest to shearing and the irregularity of income and and the absence from home was just part of life. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a bit of a surprise to me. And I think that highlights why trying to find that common ground and what you're sharing today opens up our thinking to a different perspective to what our norm is. It's a bit like Phil was saying, but at the same time, it's amazing when that reach out happens how powerful it can be. During the bushfires, um, Vanuatu and uh, seasonal workers that were over here up at Batlow were uh, evacuated along with everybody else. Um, but no financial support. Uh, The picking couldn't be done because there was no electricity. We had one of the councillors close his motel, fill it up with Vanuartans, two to a room, and they sang at the prayer service we had in the park. They went down the street and sang. And the witness that came from that was just so powerful. These men of great faith, and they were big men, even though they were wrapped up in the middle of summer because it was cold, um, they Mm -hmm. really were powerful. It was great the way the community opened up to try and support them at that tough time, Mm -hmm. but we got paid in spades by what they did. And that in itself opened up a bit of understanding in the people they engaged with, and it's finding the medium to have that conversation uh, so that we learn what the, in this case, Tongan perspective is um, or a, a First Australian perspective is, and hopefully they try and understand where we're coming from and we can sort of adjust both of our wrong perceptions and work from there. So I really value sharing today and listening to you because it's very valuable to me. Um, So any thoughts you've got on how we can build up forums like this to have others express their views with a degree of safety, I'd love to hear them. Thank you.
1: Thank you, George. Um, I just want to respond to one part of, um, to a little bit what you just said about, um, just to uh, make clarity to what I said about um, uh, seasonal workers. Um, the reason there is, there are many layers to when I think there's a difference in those who are seasonal workers from Tonga than those that are already living here in Australia. So those in most of the t- there's a there's a there's a part of the Tongan those of us um, some of us from the South Pacific. Our, we define people by what visa they hold. Okay, so seasonal workers—the way we see them—they're defined by their visas, and so that's why I think, in some ways, it's quite secretive for them to for them to keep that that part of their who they are. I mean, that's part for them. It's part of their identity that they are temporary. Um, On temporary visas, so we kind of have to not tell everyone about that. Um, So it's also yeah. So that's why it's not. So I think the whole um, the 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 whole um, being a seasonal worker alone has this um, negative implication because it's it's in as you because you hold like a um, temporary visa and so. That's another part to being in community that kind of makes people unsafe and also also that does those who are, um, are non undocumented um, are also that's a part of um that's one of the things that keeps them silent in the churches as well. Because it puts them in danger. Once people know what sort of visa you're on, and um, if you're undocumented, so that's one thing. That's I think that's an important part. I should have um, uh, made that clear before. Um, yeah.
0: Thanks, Lapham. <laughs> so it's it's quite complex, isn't it? It's a a complex relationship um, and situation for lots and lots of people and. Um, just being aware of that some of that's uh, really important. And uh, Lynn's making a comment about walking on country and, and how learning about this deep listening of not assuming that you know what's going on or those sorts of things is really critical, isn't it, to actually um, getting to know people and actually being open to hearing um, in, in a way that's um, positive and not, not putting people down or assuming that where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks, Lynn.
0: Yeah. Who else would like to make a, a comment or ask a question to Loffa? Jenny, please. Hang on, Jenny.
4: Some time ago the Combined Churches of Hillston um, held a, a welcoming barbecue about October every year, and it was um to welcome and acknowledge the important work that the seasonal workers did. We call them backpackers barbecue, and our our little town would only have about a hundred, or oh, about twelve hundred people. We would have an influx of about four hundred young people, and they came from all countries, not just Tonga. And it was just like one big party, mm-hmm. and and they just really they were really quite thrilled that, to think that somebody could do that because they were sort of saying, oh people in the supermarket say oh here come the back- backpackers sort of thing but no we we um we did that we did that for some years and um yeah it was um we really enjoyed doing it So, jenny can
0: you can you tell us a little bit about um how that changed some perhaps the perception in the town about the backpackers and how that created some community in in hilston
4: well, I think it did because um, people would become a little, not the whole town, but a lot of people would become involved and they would supply salads to go with it. And you'd hear the backpackers say, oh, I've lived on on noodles for so long and there's actually meat. And uh, we made sure it wasn't just sausages, there was steakets and all sorts of things for them. Yeah, and uh, we, we really enjoyed doing that. And also it, we became aware of... Um, some of the dodgy contractors were not doing the right thing. So one of the members of our congregation sort of took that um, into hand and also ran um, English as a second language um, classes for people who wanted to improve their English. But then um, the backpacker contract thing became too hard for us, so we passed it on to a guy from Victoria in the Uniting Church. I think his name was Martin Cernak, and uh, and he was really good, even the... um, the hostel manager of the Hillston Backpackers used him. You know, these problems that they had were, were too big for us to deal with, so it was good to sort of pass them on. But um, anyone that came into our church was um, offered hospitality and pastoral care as best that we were able to give it. Oh, that's great.
0: So have others had experience of um, seasonal workers and um, interactions in their in their congregations? And and how have you responded in your your places?
2: Jeff, we have a lot of seasonal workers in the district, but I was saying to Anne privately that I've never seen one in the church. We had some Germans one year for a couple of weeks. And um, apart from that, I haven't seen anybody that's a seasonal worker. And the Hunter District is rather huge, both at pruning time and at um, picking time. However, I do think a lot of them don't have transport and they stay out in the vineyard. So maybe there's that. But uh, how do we go about letting them know that we exist and that
1: they're more than welcome?
0: So who else would like to make a comment or ask a question?
5: Mark. Hello, fine. Hi, Mark. Um, I, I, you know, over the over the years that I've been um, speaking in churches and encouraging people through preaching in, in, in Christian communities, I've always tried to understand more and more what's happening in, in the Gospels in particular and the relationship with Jesus, with Individuals and other groups of people, and um, and and how often they are uh, people. And I hardly understand it to be to be completely honest. But often they're people who are from different places, different backgrounds, different faiths, different traditions. You know, different genders. Um, and I'm just wondering. I'm not even quite sure what my question is, but I'm wondering whether you do. You, does, that, does the gospel sort of empower you in terms of how you reflect on uh, relationships between different people of differences and 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 racism and and prejudice and that? Um, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, do you find that um, an empowering gospel, or is it um, is it a difficult one to? <coughs>
1: Um I think I think that's the tricky part is um I think the tricky part for me is growing up in a church where in the Methodist tradition where um well I don't think it's the Methodist tradition I think it's the way that um, the Church I grew up in, the way that they they preached the gospel, um, it was always quite literary <clears throat> and and then the way to read for me now part of being of decolonizing that is not being in favor of main characters that sometimes when we read literally, we favor those in power rather than the other way around. So my honours dissertation is just a little bit about my honours dissertation. I'm currently reading the book of Esther. And when I started that book, I was reading in favour of Esther. Um, And I've just changed that um, this year because I realised that Esther is in a place of power. And, yes, you all probably disagree with me. Um, but Esther is in a place of power. So is Mordecai, so is the king, and so is Haman. Um, and so they all play with this there's this dynamic of power that they're all playing. Um, and at the end of the Book of Esther, there's this whole destruction of the people, and those are the people of the land. And also, although at the beginning I thought, well, that's just a Persian Empire, but actually, sure, it's the Persian Empire, but the Persian Empire, the one in power is actually the king and then you got the commoners. And they're the ones taking the fall for all these dynamic powers, these dynamical powers playing at the top. So that's where my reading has taken me. And I think that's reading against the tradition that I come from because everyone's read through Esther who plays... A role in destroy, destroying, destroying the people of the land, um, who are the commoners. So that's that is part of my reading, and so, so for me, I think that's that's part of. I feel, I feel confident to say, I think that's where Jesus would be reading: is those people who gets destroyed at the end, um, those of the the commoners, not those who have the dominant voices and those who hold power to say, yes, let's kill all these people. Um, so that's just one way of me seeing that the Bible is still very much relevant if we just need to re, re, revisit and rethink about the way that we see power play, the power play in some of the stories. So... Thank you. Mm. I can share my dissertation with you when it's finished. Probably next year it'll be finished. But yeah.
0: Thanks, Lofa. So anybody, here's your uh, chance to uh, have a have a chat and um, ask a question. Um, well, how do you react to Lofa's reading of Esther um, as Jesus um, being with common people? Mm-hmm.
2: I think Jesus is always with the common person. It's just that sometimes we don't see that the leaders think they're not common people anymore because they're leaders. Mm. And and I think your your opening statement about you know being a being a, a woman of colour from Tonga and um, coming to this country. You know, it, it puts you at a disadvantage mm-hmm. and it's seen differently. And um yeah, and anybody who's different is 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 different. And I mean, when I came out as a pommy, um, you know, everybody picked on me all the time, and this is in 68 mm. and because I was I spoke funny, that's what we still do, but you know, um we 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 seem to have that there's a hierarchy, but we don't see it with our blinkers blind us to it till people like yourself point that out. And and I think that's been the great thing about today is revisiting that because my whole time with the Tongan community in Claymore, they would tell me that their, their uncle could come from Tonga and take all their electrical lines to sign <laughs> with my big plan is one day to go to Tonga and find our uncle and bring them all back because I'm a minister, so I'm higher up now, so I can get them back.
0: <laughs> uh, good on you, Phil. <laughs> thanks, Phil. And so Lynn's um, encouraging uh, offer and in her uh, interpretation. Uh, so thanks. thanks, Lynn. Uh, we constantly need to listen to what God is saying in our times. Yes, I think that's really true. Lynn. So you're running out of opportunities here, but um, if you uh, have a comment, you better get in quick. Uh, Anybody wanting to ask a question? So thank you so much, Lofa, for for today. Um, You've uh, challenged us in many ways to think about the Christian community and what um, a decolonised space might look like uh, for us here today. Thank you so much for your contribution, and um, we uh, wish you all the well, all will, and uh, blessings for you and for everyone this week as you go about your your lives, uh, your families and friends, and wherever you might be. We look forward to uh, everybody joining us again next week with uh, Reverend Dr. Sarah Bachelards coming along to talk to us about. Uh, contemplative Christian church in, in Canberra and uh, using of spirituality. Philotha, would you like to wrap us up for us?
1: Yeah, look, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this is my... I've been invited to speak on lots of... on all sorts of things, but not this de- decolonisation. Um, and so <laughs> um, it just happened to be in such a time as this. Um, so, yeah... Spirit moves where it moves, I guess. But thank you so much for having me, um, everyone. So good to see Phil. Um, We didn't kill you back in our teenage days, so I'm glad you're still all around. And thank you, Saltbush. Um, This has been a wonderful conversation with all of you. And Thanks for having me.
4: Thank you for coming. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Lava. Thank you for joining Conversations in Christian Community today. Further podcasts are available on saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au website. Thanks for joining us for Salty Conversations. Bye for now.